0: Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber and today's guest is Antisa Jensen. And Antisa is an American living in Copenhagen who on the tail end of a 12-year career in finance came up with a business idea that combines coaching and adventure travel to evoke real-time transformation. Her own transformational journey is the basis of the work she does with her clients guiding powerhouse trailblazers who have an entrepreneurial spirit to trust and believe in their product enough to actually launch their dream business and be successful doing it. Can you trust After Betrayal? Our next guest will be talking all about it. You'll hear about the breakdown before the breakthrough, the dark night of the soul, and so much more. If you've been betrayed, especially by a close family member, you're going to get so much out of this episode. Here we go. Okay, everybody, I have Antisa Jensen here, and I purposely stopped having our little uh, pre-recording chat because I could tell we're going to have such an interesting conversation and I wanted to capture everything so you can hear it as well. So we're going to be talking about learning how to trust after betrayal. Welcome, Antisa. Hi. We're so glad to have you here. (laughs) I'm So, so happy to be here. It's such an honor. Oh, thanks so much. So let's just get started. I mean, betrayal, you know, I mean, betrayal could be, I always talk about how it could be a, a family member, a partner, a friend, a coworker. Let's just start with, with if you're comfortable, your betrayal experience.
1: Whew, yeah, let's just dive right in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I guess it's worth prefacing, prefacing that I had many experiences of betrayal that sort of You know, there was eventually one that was like the straw that broke the camel's back of my childhood, but, um, I had a very interestingly contested relationship with my mom from when I was quite young. Um, you know, we had a typical divorced family, parents, um, couldn't talk to one another. My mom was busy trying to raise children, running a business and, you know, angry at my dad. And, um, so I had a lot of experiences where I didn't really feel like she was an advocate for me as a child. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll, I guess I can jump to the, the biggest event. So I, I was a very sick kid. I had really bad asthma, um, which I developed, of course, when my parents divorced. And there's a lot, <laughs> plenty of things around that. Um, and by the time I was 12, I was getting hospitalized regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, I had had a near-death experience. I like, literally had a conversation with God. Now, things is this were-
0: because of the
1: asthma? Yeah. Like I, I wow. would wake up suffocating in the middle of the night. Um, and so wow. um, my mom being a non supporter of, of of Western medicine in many regards, I wasn't necessarily getting the medical treatment that I probably needed. Mm-hmm. Um, I was instead being sent to back then, this was in the 80s and nine, early 90s before naturopathic medicine was quite so prominent in society. I was being taken to have my gut examined and you know, like random little blood work, allergy stuff. I got put on one of those, you know, a gluten-free diet before they had all the cool gluten-free stuff.
0: (laughs) And, you know, I'm just going to stop you here because it's so interesting how often people come on the podcast and they talk about how, let's say, they started with Western medicine and how Western medicine failed them. And so that's when they went to Eastern philosophies and alternative practices. And here you are saying sort of the opposite, but okay, go ahead.
1: Well, it's so funny because my, I mean, if you look at me now, the way that I live my life is very much around sort of a more naturopathic, you know, holistic approach. approach. And I I have a lot of gratitude and appreciation for that. And I do actually appreciate also the interventionary Mm -hmm. Western medicine. Like I needed to be on a steroid inhaler with, you know, regular allergy medicine in order to survive. And um, I was definitely allergic to cats. Um, And my mom chose to keep cats, even though she knew I was allergic to them. And so I would go to the Mm -hmm. hospital and in the ambulance, doctors would say, have you been around something that you're allergic to? And I would say, well, yeah, we've got cats at home. And they'd be like, well, doesn't your mom know that you're allergic to cats? And then I would end up in this middle spot of like having to explain to a doctor that my mom has chosen to keep cats while suffocating in the back of an ambulance. And so those were.
0: Okay. So I, I have to stop you with that one too. So did your mom, I mean, did you, did your mom know that you were allergic to cats?
1: She did. So she knew and she made an active choice to keep cats because her belief was that in keeping the dander in my environment that I would eventually heal that allergy. So that was okay. part of her more unorthodox belief mm-hmm. was that okay. being around them, you know, that I would get better. And then if I removed them from my environment that I wouldn't actually heal. Um, I see. and then the way that she addressed that was by really, you know, putting a laser sharp focus on my gut Thinking that if I controlled my diet, that my cat allergies would go away. Mm-hmm. So that was that was that was what she believed. That's what she knew to be true at the time. I, you know, I think that she knows better now. Mm-hmm. But that was the information that she had available to her, and she really went gung ho with that. She was, you know, very passionate about mm-hmm. um, about that. So I was, you know, I was taking holistic, you know, naturopathic remedies, and I didn't really have any standard Western medical care. When I was young, I, I didn't go to the dentist. I didn't, um, you know, except for when I went to the hospital, and then I would get drugged up with steroids and antibiotics because wow. I would like, have like, you know, mono and walking pneumonia at the same time and right. bronchitis and <laughs> so.
0: My gosh. Okay. So keep so, going.
1: So yeah. So that was very intense, and and I think you know, just I want to I wanna really really preface this is that I have done a, a significant amount of healing work with my mom, which is of course the basis of a lot of the work that I do now with adults. And, and I look back at that, you know, my mom was kind of at her wits end mm-hmm. um, with, with a sick kid and, you know, she had been slighted by Western medicine. Um, and so she was very wary and skeptical of that. And that was guiding a lot of fear in her. She made a lot of fear-based decisions around that, that, that I think were were governing her choices. And this um, sounds
0: very much like you've come to a a healing place with all this. But at the time, I, I, you know, I, that to me sounds like you, I can see where you can feel betrayed. 100%. Yeah. yeah. I I became
1: a very spiteful person in a lot of ways. Like I was happy. Like if you knew me when I was 15, 16 years old, I was a happy kid, Mm -hmm. but I was also resentful. I was deeply, deeply resentful. And Mm -hmm. the the big betrayal that I want to talk to you about is, is that eventually, my mom decided to take matters into her own hands because my, my diet wasn't changing. I was, I started sneaking food that she wouldn't let me have at home. Um, I didn't, I, I wasn't on board with her ideas about what was needed. You know, mm-hmm. I was, I, that was one of the ways that I was rebellious. Um, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I felt like she was preventing me from having the life that I wanted to have, you know, thing my experience was that I was being controlled. Okay. And, um, so when I was 12, she started taking me to get colonics. And I don't know if you know what colonics are, your, your listeners know what colonics are, but it's, it's basically a procedure where they stick an apparatus up your anus and they suck mm-hmm. the insides of your intestines out. And it, at 12 years old, um, that's a lot. That that's, sure it a, is. a very massive violation of physical boundaries. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to go, but at the same time, I had been told that I was sick. I had been told that I had... Um, <clears throat> uh, leaky gut. I had been told that I had parasites. I had been told that I had, um, candida. And so I had been, the, the communication I received is that you are dirty and you need to get clean. And, wow. and that was the way that I, um, was sort of lured into compliance with the No Now experience. is that,
0: is that your interpretation or was that said?
1: It was all but said, I would, I would say, like, um, there was a lot of focus around my physical appearance and physical well-being at that age.
0: Mm. Um, and that is and, so hard. That's a hard age
1: for a young girl anyway, in the yeah. best of scenarios. In the best of scenarios, yeah. Wow. So I was, I was sick. I was hospitalized a lot. And um, I was bloated often mm-hmm. um, as a kid probably because I I wasn't eating well. I mean, I, I was, we were eating, you know, relatively healthy food at home, but it, it, it wasn't, it was like, you know, lots of starch. Like I ate a lot of bread, even though I shouldn't have been eating bread and, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, so anyway, so she took me to go get colonics and, um, I complied the first time because, you know, I, if I was dirty, then I wanted to be clean. Like that was my genuine as a child. And then, and then when it happened again, I actually, um, rebelled. I, I, was in total breakdown. I cried the entire way there. It was being done by a man this time, which felt like a huge violation for me Yeah, in his basement of his house. Like it was just like not, I didn't know him. <clears throat> and my mom basically gave consent on my behalf. And, um, by the time I got to the, the place where, where this happened, I had, um, completely shut off. I mean, like I basically, I knew that there was no fighting. There was no, there was no, like, I couldn't jump out of a moving vehicle. I couldn't run away. This was my mother. She was an authority figure I had to obey. Um, and so I had this colonic and I remember, like, this is sort of graphic, but I remember him him having to use extra lube to get the apparatus in. And I remember, you know, him trying to make light of the situation by saying that, you know, the, the bowel movement television would soon be showing us what was on my insides. And I felt like the truth was sort of involuntarily being sucked out of me in a way. And my mom would sort of use the machine where you could see what was coming out of you is a lie detector for me. So if I told her I didn't have chocolate at lunch and then chocolate came floating by, she'd look at me as though I had betrayed her.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay.
1: And so as you can imagine, so I'm sure you know about this a lot. One of the things that I've studied a lot is the freeze defense mechanism, which is very relevant for people who struggle with betrayal Mm -hmm. um, because there's no escape and there's no fighting back. And so your body just shuts down. And um, that's what happened for me. I kind of decided that day that this was not a woman that I could trust.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Nothing mm-hmm. about it. And so I, I shut down and we've talked about it since and she knows that I shut down, but she didn't understand why, of course. And I Now, just, what did
0: what did shutting down look like and, and mean for you?
1: I didn't tell her anything. So um, in the following years, um, I had just recently, when this happened, I just had a near-death experience where I had a conversation with God. I didn't talk to anyone about that. Um, I had developed lock jaw um, which I had for a year and I didn't tell anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I got my period in the hospital, didn't tell anybody. Like, you know, when I was, I was like in, I think ninth grade, I was a late bloomer and I got my period and I, I just, I withheld everything. Like I didn't want anyone to know what my truth was because I felt like it had been prematurely taken away from me against my will. And, and think
0: of what lockjaw is. It's like a refusal to speak.
1: Yes, totally. I mean, I'm 100% like I do body work with a lot of my clients and and that's, when people have thyroid issues, when people have throat issues, when people mm-hmm. have lockjaw, like that is a, that is a belief that you can't speak your truth.
0: Right. Right. Like, Oh, that's amazing. So super uh, relevant, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you, now the body cannot handle this kind of stress. So no. did you have any other symptoms, physical symptoms at the time, or was it just mostly mental, emotional?
1: I, well, I regularly lost my voice. Mm. Um, that, that happened to me, Often, and I'm a singer actually, so I, I have a background in music. I was on my way to being a professional musician until I was about 19 years old, and mm-hmm. I sang and, and played the French horn. And um, my my illnesses often resulted in me losing my voice. And then um, one of the things that happened after that event, because the colonics um, became a form of punishment, like I could no longer be spanked. That was I was too old to get spanked. Mm-hmm. And so when when I went through my natural teenage Phase of wanting to sort of establish my own sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom would punish me by sending me to the colonics if I was out of alignment. That was the way, that was her language. She'd say, You're out of alignment. We better set up at a colonic. There must be something going on in your gut. There must be something yeah. rotting, rotting in your gut. Right. Um, and in the event that that wasn't available or prior to that, I had a choice to um, administer myself enemas. So from when I was about 13, I was doing enemas regularly and taking um, senileaf, which is an herbal laxative. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know that 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 was a form of purging, and I didn't know what purging was until I was in college and started taking psychology classes, as you Mm -hmm. probably know. But um, So I I basically, for the course of the next about 14 years or so, I was using um, purging methods and control methods to manage my weight, to stay in alignment, it was almost like I wanted to take my power back, and that was how I did it. Right. Um, by controlling, controlling that, and then the way that I, the relationship that I developed with my mom during that time was one of reporting my compliance. And so I would tell her how good I've eaten, and I would tell her how much I weighed. And one of the ways she greeted me until probably in my into my late twenties is she would tell me that I looked edemic. She'd tell me like I looked like I was retaining water, that I looked puffy. Before even really saying hi, how are you? And and I, I eventually addressed that with her, but that was heartbreaking for me. Okay. Is that you know I, I felt like an, I was objectified, I felt objectified, right. <clears throat> and I've developed a. I'm a you know I was a very high performer, high achiever. Um, you know, did things really well. I, I I effectively decided that the only way to stay safe was to be 100% independent. Um, it was you know I would say a, for me now is what I what I know now of sovereignty. This is not sovereignty, but it's what I considered sovereignty was that I, I didn't, I just, I decided that I no longer had needs mm-hmm. and my relationships, my friendships, um, the people around me, I would develop these connections with people where I was the one handling everyone else's needs. And I never, ever even questioned what my own needs were. That was not a conversation that happened inside of my head. And, and,
0: you know, this is something I hear every single day from so many women. We're we're conditioned to put ourselves last. And here you you can see how just your own needs and you just weren't even a consideration. So I'm sure that impacted the types of relationships you had too. Oh yeah.
1: Absolutely. Um well into my into my early thirties, to be honest. You know, we we're briefly talking about my ex-boyfriend. Like mm-hmm. that was that was a relationship where I just didn't occur to me that I had needs and you know, I, I approached our, our quarrels as sort of diplomatic office disagreements, you know, like it wasn't, mm. there were no emotions. I, I didn't think that there was space for my emotional experience until I was probably 33 years old. So uh, what made started, the
0: change for you? <clears throat> what happened?
1: <laughs> well, um, spiritually speaking, I, I would say that I started, I started going through an awakening. Um, I had one of the things that sort of birthed from this independence was I was a very big traveler and I've, you know, I've been to 40 countries. I've traveled the world. I've spent a lot of time with indigenous cultures. I'm very interested in, in community and connection. Um, Mm -hmm. I've always been very drawn to, to that. And I was in South America and, you know, nothing went according to plan. And I had a complete breakdown one day where um, we got abandoned in the middle of nowhere, (laughs) my friend and I in, in Southern Peru. And by the time we got to the bus station, it was this huge, dramatic event of, like, I literally thought I was going to get killed by this taxi driver and dismembered. Oh, like, I, my gosh. mind is in a really intense, mm-hmm. intense space. And we got to this bus station and the bus that we we're supposed to take next got canceled and I, I just lost it. And I didn't recognize myself um, because I had never seen that part of me because I was on such lockdown. I, I got very angry at this innocent bus station attendant about the mm-hmm. bus being canceled mm-hmm. and you know, I was that white crazy woman in the bus station. In the mm-hmm, middle of Peru. Mm-hmm. Just was like on a complete meltdown, and um, I started developing health issues. So I, I developed. Um, I at this point, I had actually gotten so much control of my health through control um, mm-hmm. through, through my and da- you know
0: I'm just gonna say this is. This sounds to me, and you haven't even shared the rest of it. This sounds like the breakdown before the breakthrough. Right? That's yes. what I'm hearing right here.
1: One hundred percent. This uh-huh. is it. So, uh-huh. I got home from that trip. I had developed overnight IBS. I lost my voice once again, and I started feeling very emotionally volatile to the degree at which I did not have tools to control it.
0: Well, and, and here it is. It's it's years of just keeping backlog. all of this in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I had lots of backlog. I, I had been in complete shutdown and my body was like, no more. I can't do this anymore. And it, You know this just as well as I do. I see this with my clients all the time and their, their bodies respond and that's when they start to actually go look for help because right. you, you can't ignore it when it becomes physical.
0: Um, and and it's, and this is what I see too. And I've seen this for years where when you allow for those emotions, you do, you react volatilely or even something like I'll tell people when I used to work with emotional leaders all the time, don't, don't be afraid if all of a sudden you start having crazy dreams yeah. because this is everything that you've been suppressing is 100%. just, is coming up and coming out. And that's a good thing. You just need to learn how to manage it effectively. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah,
1: so, so that's that's another thing that happened is I developed mm-hmm. anxiety and started having panic attacks almost every night. So I wasn't getting, and this wasn't, this was not, all of this was was um, in direct conflict with who I knew myself to be. So there was a whole identity and existential crisis happening. Like I, I didn't understand the experience I was having and couldn't relate to it, and I judged it. Of course, you know, I think mm-hmm. this happens with people who have depression and who have is Their view of themselves is not depressed and is not anxious. And so they don't understand why they're having this experience. And while that's happening, they're in judgment of it. And that's why it doesn't go away. You can't heal something yeah. if you're judging it.
0: Absolutely. And this also sounds like, you know, I talk about death and rebirth and it sounds like it is the the death of the old and the rebirth hasn't happened yet, but the, and that's a terrifying space because the yeah. old you no longer makes sense, but a new you it hasn't been birthed it hasn't yet. arrived yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: they, you know, in spiritual terms, they call it the dark night of the soul, um, mm. and mine lasted for about two years. Wow. Um, I went to doctors in Copenhagen. I got colonoscopies. Um, I considered taking anti-anxiety medicine, but something about that didn't really feel true for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that there was something happening and I just, I had no idea where to look. Like I just, you know, like until you're in this world, you don't really know where to start actually. And I really resonate with that because I was so confused. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I just, I figured maybe if I just traveled more, (laughs) I would figure it out. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, constant, I think I had at any given point about three or four international plane tickets in my possession at any (sighs) given time. Um, And... Then I, um, I actually, I met someone who I was really attracted to and, and he was a coach and he was in a community of people who had interpersonal relating skills that I did not know existed. And I found myself starting to go really crazy in that relationship. And I was just like, there's something here that I don't know. Like I've never, I've never learned this stuff. I feel confused. Um, and I had started meditating and in the meditation process, things actually started to get worse. hmm Um, I was, you know, the words that I used then, this was sort of in the middle of this dark night of the soul period. Um, I, I used this reference that I felt like I was blindfolded on a roller roller coaster at nighttime. Uh, That was, I was so disoriented. I had no idea who I was.
0: Right.
1: And at this point, I also knew that I didn't want to be at my job anymore. Um, I knew that I didn't, but I had no idea what I would do. Like I, I was so far veered off of my path, but I didn't know where my path was. I didn't know to go left or right or up or down or
0: and i i want to stop you here now because what this is another such an important place and such an important space because here's the point where and i and i saw this in my study the women who medicated who avoided who who numbed and distracted they didn't heal right but when you face it you feel it that's the only way you start to heal and it sounds like yeah. you're navigating through this path of i don't want to numb distract avoid I'm feeling this deeply and I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. So, and that's the only way you can get to healing, but it is a terrifying space.
1: Totally. Mm-hmm. This is the thing that I work with my clients on the most because we, we don't want to hurt. Like mm-hmm. it is painful to heal. It, mm-hmm. it is, you know, it's, it, I say this, like I use the reference cause I have a background in, in weightlifting. Um, in order to build muscle, you have to rip muscle and you're going right. to get sore you're not going to be able to walk for a couple of weeks you know like those those are really real you know the, the body is a is a tangible experience of what's happening intangibly you know inside of ourselves and we're healing our heart like it hurts it's mm-hmm. and and the only way out is through you have to feel it
0: that's it and you, you really have to be have willing to, to be uncomfortable and i think yeah. something so simple as being uncomfortable people just don't want to go there but right. it's it's only in those waters do you start making sense and meaning out of your experience?
1: Right. And incidentally, mm-hmm. the suffering is worse when you don't when you try to pull away from it. Like mm-hmm. it, it there's this, there's this amazing video, which you may want to put in your show notes just for humor purposes. There's this sure. video of this little boy who's hanging onto a rope in the water and he's kicking and screaming. And he thinks that he's about to drown. And his mom comes up and he picks him up. She picks him up and he's like in two feet of water and he can stand. Uh-huh, you know? oh. So we have this idea that's that it's this really terrible, dramatic experience, but actually it goes away very quickly when you allow yourself to heal. And um, that was the major turning point for me was um, very simple, actually. And it's a a tool set that I use with my clients now all the time using nonviolent communication Mm -hmm. because um, I was recreating experiences, of course, as an adult of betrayal. And so I had justified that I couldn't trust anyone and I justified that I needed to go find the facts so that I could make choices that were right for me as a sovereign person. Mm -hmm. But um, I was creating a reality where I wasn't living in my truth. I was demanding and interrogating others for for theirs in order for me to know what was up from down Mm -hmm. while completely ignoring how I felt. Mm. And those things came into an onset I realized through nonviolent communication when I felt overwhelmed which was a physical and emotional experience for me that I was relatively disconnected from. And I knew that with overwhelm, I was going to feel vulnerable. And with vulnerable, mm-hmm. I was going to feel distrustful because my experience and my training, you know, the way that I was raised, necessarily meant that vulnerability led to betrayal. Right. And so this was the point where I disconnected from everyone.
0: So, how did you reconcile with that, and how'd you learn to be vulnerable again? Because, the, in your vulnerability, you know lies your strength, but it is—it yeah. can be terrifying. So, so, how'd you
1: work through that? I had one relationship with my coach, who, um, as it would happen, and this is actually I think really relevant. When I first met her, I was repulsed by her, mm-hmm. in the same way that I was repulsed by myself. Like I had, you know, I had this, um, I actually, the, the belief system has had varying l- layers, but, um, you know, I think the root of this colonics experience was this belief, you are disgusting, oh, wow. which is a really intense belief system to be carrying around unconsciously. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of my experiences of people who I didn't like were actually disgust. Mm-hmm. I would experience disgust and repulse. And my, my coach um, at the time was someone who I initially was disgusted by. And I think it's because she represented and embodied everything that I thought I couldn't have. Wow. And I was in a workshop and she ended up being the person who was at service to me effectively during a big breakdown where I was not, I couldn't trust anyone. I was completely disoriented and paranoid mm-hmm. um, because, because this whole thing around truth had kind of come up um, and truth and betrayal And she just was steady and held space and showed up consistently and put her attention on me. And we were together for about seven days in that workshop. It was like, it was an intensive. So it was Mm -hmm. like, you know, you're living there, you're sleeping there, you know, you're kind of in in it for the work. I was going through, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the 12 steps, Mm -hmm. Um, but I was doing the 12 steps with, um, you know, loosely uh, adult children of alcoholics and other dysfunctional families. And I was Mm -hmm. going through my resentments. Mm-hmm. in step four. And I was—I had added to that process um, steps of understanding how I felt when I felt those things, those traumas, those experiences, and also the impact of the reactivity that I decided about also from those experiences. And fleshing that out with her, I realized that um, vulnerability was not a safe space for me. Mm-hmm. And so we explicitly worked on that in our connection. Um, she, I hired her as my coach after that, um, after and, that time.
0: And when did you, yeah. And when did you feel a shift? When did you say, okay, this feels really unfamiliar, different, but this is good.
1: There was a day. So I would actually, one of the ways that I had to find this is sort of like the tail end of the dark night of the soul, where I actually, um, literally had an experience where I felt like I was at the bottom of the barrel of my heart. Mm-hmm. So it was like cold, damp floor. I had found stillness in that in that intensive. So it was um, it was in a self recognition of all of the places where I had been making decisions for myself out of a lack of trust,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that I had the power to choose to trust. Um, and that is part of the reason why I work so much with belief systems. Actually, is because you, we do have the power to make different choices. Mm-hmm. We may be victimized, but we don't have to feel like victims. Absolutely. And that has been, um, you know, I did both work with my coach and with a counselor on, on this particular area of, of how do I choose to believe who I am about, like, how do, what do I choose to believe about myself with regard to this experience? And there was a part of my ego that really wanted to be um, the Cinderella story, you know, mm-hmm. like I was successful despite my broken childhood and That was part of my battle cry, you know, like people respected me because they saw how far I've come. But you know what,
0: whenever we, we see that when someone is creates this amazing, let's say financial success, but it's because of I'll show you or whatever it is, that soil is never, you know, it's not the right soil to birth, you know, something healthy and beautiful. So what did it lead to? Where are you now?
1: So where I am now, um, let's see. So, um, throughout that experience, one of the things that I saw sort of front and center over and over and over again was the importance of presence and the importance of, of what we all call now emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. which is to say, um, feeling safe to express our emotional experience, um, separate from the story of it, which I think is a really important piece, um, because it's not, it's one thing to say, um, I have been betrayed. It's another thing to say, I feel vulnerable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, one is about someone else and the other one's about us mm-hmm. and your truth is about you. Um, and that was the thing that was sort of front and center for me in my healing. And I was like, wow, this is really potent stuff for, um, people like me who have issues with freeze defense mechanism where you go blank, you don't necessarily know what to do. Um, it's not about remembering. It's not about making the right or wrong choice. It's simply about choosing to feel in that moment. And if you don't have access to the emotional sensation, you can have access to the physical sensation. Mm. And it really comes from being present. You can't heal if you're not present. And so one of the things that I started to notice is that you know, talk therapy and processing my trauma was getting me nowhere. But if I could, in the, in the present moment, express how I felt, mm-hmm. and I allowed someone else to hold space for that, and t- started to realize that was a need that I could ask for. I don't need you to give me advice. I don't need you to make it better. I just need you to hear me and witness me here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That process is extremely powerful. And that's the process I now offer to my clients, uh, that and much more, obviously, um, to teach them that there is validity in their experience. And, and, through- you know, and, and what you're saying,
0: and, and sorry to interrupt, you're saying it, it really, what I'm hearing is it's a process where you're learning to trust yourself as well.
1: That's right. So that's essential, and that's one of the reasons why I suggested this conversation be from betrayal to trust. Like, how Mm -hmm. do you trust after betray, betray, being betrayed? Is that you can't trust other people to not betray you if you don't trust yourself as an adult. You Mm -hmm. know, like especially if it's an authority figure who has betrayed you, um, you will find yourself in dynamics where you either feel superior or inferior to the people around you, and that 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 is a evidence of dysfunction already. If you feel superior or inferior, Mm -hmm. and the, the, the way to break that pattern is to really check in with how you feel. And mm-hmm. the thing that's, that gets complicated about this, I think, is that a lot of people who have experienced betrayal feel numbness. They feel a void. Mm-hmm. And what we've taught ourselves to do is to not feel when there's numbness. We say, okay, well, there must be nothing there. And so we might default to saying, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reality is, is that numbness is a feeling. Numbness is actually evidence of a lot of feeling. And I, I like to use the analogy, when your foot falls asleep, you don't notice it's asleep until it's starting to wake back up again, and then it's painful. Mm-hmm. When your hand is out in the cold and you put you know, you know put your glove back on, it hurts. You know Your blood is thawing. Right. And it's not numb because it's absent of something. It's numb because it's full. That's and- such an
0: important distinction. I, I think that is absolutely going to help uh, everybody listening, because we, it's true. We could be numb and think, okay, well, there's just, I guess there's nothing going on, but in fact, there really is. It's just not ready to be birthed or unearthed just yet, but it's right there. Antisa, this is so helpful. And I know you help so many people with this conversation. Where can we learn more about you?
1: You can learn about me on my website, antisajensen.com. It's A-N-T-E-S-A, Jensen, J-E-N-S-E-N. Um, and on Facebook and on Instagram, um, I share a lot. I I love, I'm a very generous person. I love to write content. Um, Mm -hmm. so there's, I have a blog that I contribute to probably, you know, two or three times a week. I write posts around this a lot around freeze, um, around, you know, how do you, um, presence yourself in the here and now and learn how to feel because Mm -hmm. there's just so like you said that at the beginning of this call, vulnerability is power. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they, you don't get strong without learning how to be tender Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, that is a big piece of my work. It's a big piece of the work that I do with my clients. And I'm, it's, all over the, it's all over the website.
0: <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, Antisa, I want to thank you so much for your time. And anybody who's struggling with vulnerability, with trust, with, of course, betrayal, uh, I know they're going to get so much out of this conversation. So I just want to thank you so much for taking the time today.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I loved how
0: Antisa walked us through her experience. You know, we often hear about fight or flight, but freeze is a very real state when we feel there's nowhere to run and we don't have the ability to fight back. She also explained how facing her challenges led to her healing, which is something I can't stress enough. Stay in touch with Antisa by going to antisajensen.com and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at pbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. While it may seem easier to avoid, numb, or distract ourselves from something painful, here's another example of face it, feel it, and heal it. We simply won't change or heal if we keep running from our pain. And it's also one of the most impactful ways to not only heal, but birth something beautiful. As you know, lots of physical, mental, and emotional symptoms are left in the wake of betrayal. So to find out what may be lingering for you, take the post-betrayal syndrome quiz at pbtinstitute.com forward slash quiz. And let us support you. Go to Facebook and join our group, Women Hacking Betrayal, where we give information, tools, and support to help you move forward and heal once and for all. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.